Growing your business is tough, but don't worry, we've got you covered. We interview industry experts on how they've solved their most challenging business problems in SaaS or e-commerce. No fluff, just step-by-step playbooks to help you dominate your market and crush the competition. This is the How We Solve podcast. Here's your host. Hey, it's GQ here with yet another episode on the How We Solve show. For today's episode, we have Jeff Rosenblum, who is an author, documentary filmmaker, and advertising agency founder. In addition to writing the book Friction, he is also the co-writer and director of a groundbreaking documentary, The Naked Brand, about the future of the advertising industry. Now, as the founding partner of Questus, a digital marketing agency, Jeff has also worked with some of the world's most influential brands, including American Express and Apple. He is also on advisory boards for both the Make-A-Wish Foundation and Special Spectators. Here's a really cool fact. He and his family built a school in a remote village in Nepal while working with the Build On organization. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Really glad to be catching up with you, Jeff. And to be frank, this is the first episode that we're recording for 2022. How has the year started for you? It's been hairy already, man. I think a lot of businesses are doing really well right now, to be honest with you. And I know we're we're certainly thriving. I think a lot of companies around the world are waking up to new business models, the importance of digital, the importance of empowerment, the importance of creating immersive, meaningful content. And that's been the crux of what we do as an organization. So I thought I'd ease into the year, but it's been hairy already. Come in with guns blazing, right? Come in and just like get things started. And, and and just out of curiosity, because one of my favorite topics to talk about is remote work. Is your agency completely, is your business completely remote at this point? Do you guys work in the hybrid model? We're totally remote right now. You know, we, every time we set a date to open the office, it just gets moved back another few months. I'm not even sure what our plan was. I think we we're going to open two weeks, but I'm sure that's getting pushed back. We keep in mind every day, we're not curing cancer as an agency, right? We don't need to take inappropriate risks for our team members. We need to keep everyone safe and healthy and all of that. So we'll open up and we'll find a way to keep it as safe as possible for everyone. But right now we're totally remote. And even when this thing is over, we're going to be pretty hybrid, I think. That's very cool. And was it always like this? Like, did you start off with the idea of having a remote from the beginning? Now, the reason why I ask about this is it's going to segue into the main topic we're going to be talking about. And because I'm really curious with a remote company right now, has that affected your culture in any way because people are not seeing with each other? Has that changed the way collaboration has worked internally in the company? We've been heavy users of Zoom for a number of years. We have a, a primary office in San Francisco, another one down in Southern California, one in New York, a few remote folks. I've always been pretty distant and I travel a lot. So we're really comfortable around Zoom. So when COVID hit, it was a real quick shift over for us. And We've got an amazing managing director named Debbie Dumont, who is wise enough to say, let's get everybody the right lighting, the right seats, the right cameras, make sure they're comfortable. All the things that we have in the office, food, snacks, communication. I remember one of our early meetings with the whole agency and some folks got promoted. And all of a sudden it was like, ding dong, at the door, the door opened. And then there was someone with like balloons to celebrate somebody's promotion. I just thought that was a beautiful thing that Maybe on my best day I could think of, but I can never personally execute upon. I just don't have those skills. So it was really cool to see that like empathetic leadership, but also that operational expertise. So 
I think honestly, in many, many ways, our culture has been stronger than ever before. You know, this is a tough time around the planet and we've got a remarkable team and Debbie and other leaders, Matt, et cetera. Like when you've got strong culture during tough times, I think it pulls people together even tighter than before. There has been times like I met people in person that have been doing travel. I've been traveling a little bit lately. Holy shit, man. We have a great relationship. I speak to you hours every day and this is the first time we've met in person. But it's been seamless. Like if you really are good at Zoom and making friends and listening and, and getting your technology right, I think those relationships are pretty much just as strong and in some ways stronger than ever before. That's amazing. And I, I love the fact that you said like, you've never met someone before, but you've always had those conversations online. When you guys meet in person, it doesn't really, well, obviously now you get to see the person in reality and they kind of look a little bit different maybe from Zoom, but the conversation, the relationship is pretty much the same and it just gets better, I guess, at some level. And the reason why I bring this up is because like, let's focus on this as a business internally, right? When you have strong company culture that breeds better collaboration, that definitely helps a business grow very quickly. And so that leads to the main topic of today's conversation. This is based on your book that's coming out and it's called Exponential. And we love to, you know, dive into the topic. One of the key topics in the book where you talk about is using culture and collaboration and understanding your customer base and how to reach out to it. So in this topic, first of all, let's define it, right? What is culture in this case? That's a great question. You know, the issue with culture is that it's been really misdefined. A lot of people think that culture is equivalent to fun. And it's certainly great if you've got a culture that's fun, right? You've got Thursday cocktails, you've got foosball, ping pong parties. That's all fine and that's great, but that's not what culture is. What we've learned culture is all about is it's putting people in position to do their best work. If you hire the right people, they take themselves seriously. They take their teamwork seriously. They take their deliverables seriously. And what they're really looking for at a great culture is putting them in position to do their best work so that they can advance their career. They can make more money. They can work with others that they're proud to work with so they can create things that they're proud to show to their friends and their family. So that's the thing that we've learned and that I see working with some of the biggest companies around the world. Successful culture, sure, it's fun. That's great. But much more importantly, how do you put people in position to do their best work? That's kind of like the concept of having the right people in the right seats, right? Because if they're in those positions, it pretty much becomes like, you know, you, you set goals, you have your quarterly goals, your annual goals, but they, in a way, become, I want to say autonomous, but they, they're, they're able to basically self-operate and know how to get there without you having to kind of micromanage people. And then that gets you a lot closer to your goals. Yeah, it's definitely a part of it, right? There was the famous good to great book. And I think one of the things that everybody loved about it was this concept of more important than strategy. It's the notion of getting the right people on the bus. And I think one point that didn't come out as strongly to people who leaned on that book is what you mentioned, which is getting people in the right seat on that bus is, is absolutely critical. That's only a part of it. And we spent a lot of time trying to figure out how do we synthesize this down? And what we've learned is it comes down to two things, talent acquisition and talent collaboration. But what that means is talent acquisition. How do you get the right people on the bus as you describe it? And what you're looking for are A players, right? A players put out A-level work, they attract more A players, but there's not enough thought and process behind that. 
So you can be as simple as, okay, what does that really mean? Well, an A on a report card is a 95% or better, right? So you're looking for people in the top 5%, which means out of 20 people that are qualified for the job, are you finding the top one person out of 20? So we can all kind of wrap our heads around that. Like, how do we get really discerning about who we hire? But where most companies fail is do they have processes to hire these folks? One of the key parts of the process for me is I've had to learn I'm terrible at it. I'm a people person and part of my job is to help grow the agency. So I'm always looking at why do I like this brand? Why do I like this person? Why will this person be a great partner? That's not always the right mindset when thinking about talent acquisition and recruiting. What you really got to be looking for are what are the weak points in this person? Because yes, you want them to have strengths, but if they've got weak points and then you merge them in with a world-class A-level team, now you've got yourself a problem. So one of the parts in the process for me is I participate, but I am not a key decision maker because I'm not that skilled at it. But that's only one small part of it. There's a chronological process and there's documentation that we go through and we're always trying to optimize it. I think that's a journey that companies are never fully completed. They never fully complete, but it's critical is to define success, not just success in general, like what's an A player, but what's an A player for your organization with the right values, the right skills, the right experience. But that's only half of it. The other half of it is talent collaboration. And collaboration is critical because the world has become so complex. Brands used to be able to say and do whatever they want. And if they did it really creatively, say like in a 30 second spot, a print ad, a banner ad, social media, whatever, people would believe it. But now people know the truth and they know it in real time and they're looking for something a lot more significant than just a cool 30 second spot or some cool influencer content. So what that means is the solutions for brand building are much more complex. They require creativity, data, analytics, media, strategy, optimization, project management. So how do we get all of these different skills to work well together? It's not just about individual intelligence, it's about the collective intelligence. And to do that, we need to focus in on talent collaboration. And like talent acquisition, that comes down to, do you have processes in place? We can all talk about collaboration, but do you have the tools in place? Do you have the processes in place? Do you document them and do you refine and optimize them over time? Let's dive into the collaboration piece, because I like the fact that, like you said, finding the right people in the right seats, that's one piece of the puzzle. But also the other part of it is how well they work together, right? So what are some examples that you can think of that have worked well, maybe in your organization, maybe in other organizations that have applied the same principles that you can think of when it comes to collaboration? Maybe a specific, it could be like the marketing department, for example, sales department. There's a couple things that come into play there. One of them are the tools that are available. There's incredible cloud-based tools that can track everything that an organization does. We've been using these cloud-based tools for, I don't know, maybe a decade. And once you're intertwined with them, they know everything about you, but we found it so important that we just got off of the platform that we used for almost a decade and jumped onto a new platform, which is really about a 12 month process from highest levels of leadership to get this new tool going. But it's worth the investment in time, money, energy, tears, and sweat because using these systems when done correctly helps us understand what everybody's doing, how they're tracking their time, how the widget is moving through the shop, what are the opportunities for improvement as you move on to the next and similar project. What did we learn from the previous project? What are you doing at a client level, department level, human being level? How do we find that work-life balance? It's not just about getting great widgets out of the shop. 
Anyone can do that if you're willing to work 29 hours a day, but everyone should be able to have that great work-life balance. So the first thing, again, is having that great collaborative cloud-based tools. The second thing is just straightforward human-to-human communication. At the core of business is how strong can we communicate effectively as human beings with each other? So we use a combination of daily scrums, which might be 15 to 30 minutes. You'll have a weekly meeting, which is an hour long. We'll have an all hands meeting every two weeks. We'll have a more dramatic or a significant meeting every quarter. Then we'll look back on it, back to those cloud-based tools and be like, wait, do we have two meeting meetings or not enough meetings? Are they too long? And how do you continuously optimize it? But at the bottom line with collaboration is communication. You can never find an organization that communicates too effectively. I love that you talk about communication because I think that is a piece that now <laughs> post-pandemic, but now during this time period that we live in, collaboration is so much, and communication is so much more important now because, you know, like you said, everyone's remote and we've talked about Zoom calls. We've talked about probably using platforms like Slack, for example, or Microsoft Teams, Google Hangouts or Google Meet, whichever way to communicate. But there is also the concern of Zoom fatigue, kind of that, you know, like what's your way to work around that? Because, you know, like before when you had to go between meetings, if it's in the same office building, great, you can just kind of hop between meeting rooms or stay in that meeting room. But if you were to meet clients, perhaps you would go to the opposite building, go somewhere down, you, you take your car out. That's great. But now because there is this fast switch every few minutes, like five or so minutes, you would, or even it's almost instant, instantaneously, you would switch to another Zoom meeting. So like, like you could have 10 meetings in a row, five meetings in a row, you know, how do you work around that? How do you not get Zoom fatigue? That's a great, great question. I think the big strategic header on that is just to be honest with yourselves and admit there's an issue. So right around the end of last year, I sat down just quickly. I grabbed Morgan Edwards, an amazing account director on the team. I was like, quickly off the top of your head, what's one thing that we could do better? She's like, dude, less meetings, right? And what she was referring to are Zoom meetings. Because in the good old days, you're right. You could see the look on somebody's eye or maybe not even in their eye. You see the top of their head like, dude, I can't invite you to a meeting right now. You're really busy. Now on Zoom, it's so easy to just like add someone in there. So it has been extraordinarily effective for us and it manifests itself in our growth, our culture, our finances. But we're also seeing what you're alluding to, which is not just Zoom fatigue, but overall inefficiency. So it's something we're trying to figure out now. And I think the big header is, Let's be honest with ourselves. It got us this far. It was awesome. Now we need to figure out how to dial back because the end is not in sight. We all thought the end was in sight three weeks ago. Now we got Omicron. Who else knows what's coming? Like we have to prepare for another 12 months of being great with Zoom. So we're trying to figure out different rules like the first hour of every day. Are there no meetings so that everybody's focused on the task at hand? Is there no such thing as more than a 30 minute meeting? Are there rules that say there's no more than three hours on Zoom every single day? I honestly don't have these things resolved yet. I was talking with my business partner, Jordan, the other day, and we were sort of brainstorming. And then we came to that honest point in our conversation. We're like, I don't think we can answer this. Let's have the team figure this out because these guys are going to know the answer much more effectively than us. So we'll probably slap a few ideas against the wall. But at the end of the day, the team has to solve these issues let it run for another quarter and then optimize it based upon what they learn. Very cool. Very cool. The proof is in the pudding, right? We just test it out and keep iterating as we go. Because like you said, no one really understands where this is going to go. And we're just kind of figuring this out because it's a new mode of collaborating and working. You know, now that we've talked about using culture and collaboration, right? Like, you know, what that looks like, what's the, I would say an ideal state, but you know, 
what businesses should aim for in terms of culture and collaboration. Now, how does that translate to understanding your customer base? We're talking about how culture and collaboration helps to understand your customer base. How does that work? Well, understanding your customer base is probably the most important thing that a business can do, whether it's a small business and it's got a service model or it's a giant corporation and it's selling a product, widget, et cetera. It's complex, right? In the good old days, Nike actually came up in the world of market research. So we had basically two tools, qualitative and quantitative research, which was focus groups, IDIs, triads, one-on-ones, whatever. And then on the quantitative side, there were surveys. These projects would go three, six, nine, 12 months. Now there's infinite sources of data. You've got media metrics, behavioral metrics, tracking studies. The stuff that used to take six months is now done and literally without exaggeration can be done in six seconds or 0.6 seconds. So the key is how do you go back to what I was talking about before, a collaborative culture so that everyone is able to share that information. Now, part of it is collaborating, which comes down to listening skills, which we talk about all the time. Every single human being on planet Earth needs to work on their listening skills. If you want a happy relationship, happy marriage, but also in this example, a happy business, you have to be a much better listener, right? We all need to get better at that. We know that. Here's another important point though. We all gotta be better at selling and communicating in this data-driven world. There's so much data available to us that so many of us are sending out data, which is coming out at noise. And what we gotta do is get to the point of signal. So let's not only put it on everybody's individual need to be better listeners, which is true, but well-established. We also have to put it on ourselves to be better communicators and say, look, we do have all this data, but people don't want data. People want insights and insights are about stripping down all of the information out there, get rid of the noise, focus in on the signal and figure out what the very specific action items are. Very cool. Very cool. And what we're talking about because I, I love the fact that you, you said, you know, with collaboration, you're sharing insights and there is no, I guess the concept of removing silos in a way, because, you know, there are terms like RevOps or DevOps, for example, with software. So there is no longer that concept of, of silos. And when we talk about, for example, like when, when we think about customer service on our end as well, because we think of customer service as a channel for business growth, when customer service is integrated with marketing, for example, or sales, they're able to provide feedback for not just what people are talking about, but also product feedback. What are some opportunities to better sell or better help customers, right, in exchange for value? So now we've understood, okay, we have culture working well in the business. We have the collaboration aspect working well. And we are now understand, okay, hey, these are our current customers and we want to get to reach out to more people like that, right? We want to be able to better speak to them in terms of perhaps in the messaging that we're sending out as a business, perhaps in the products that we're creating. What are some ways that we can better reach out to the customer base that we now understand based on what we've talked about today? Better ways to reach out to the customer base? How about we invert that and say, what are better ways to get the customer base to reach out to us? I'll steal this expression from Brian Halligan over at HubSpot, but I think we need to focus more on magnets rather than megaphones. And I'm in the megaphone business and it's still effective, meaning how do you create TV ads, print ads, banner ads, CRM, email, social content. That's all great. You're pushing your story out there. But I think the real question is, can we create content in tools that are so appealing that people go out of their way to interact with it and then out of their way to share that experience and tell their friends all about it. And that's how great brands are now built is finding that combination of great content as a magnet and then using those megaphone tools, not to blast out, hey, this is what a great corporation we are, is to blast out, hey, check out this magnet. 
check out this amazing content that we've created. So we're building awareness for the experience, not just the product. Very cool. Very cool. So <laughs> I love that you quoted HubSpot as well. Yeah, when I think about it, when I'm thinking about inbound marketing, that, that that's amazing. Because I think the concept of outreach sometimes get to, gets to people because it's it might rub people the wrong way. Sometimes depending on how you're contacting people, whereas like, you know, you're warming up leads before they come back in and then they start working with your brand, be it B2B or B2C. I think that's, that, that's amazing. Now, just out of curiosity, because the last book that you wrote, Friction, that was published in 2017 or so, but what sparked the idea to, to write Exponential? Yeah, so Friction's an interesting book. We tried to redefine the concept of a business book. So it's a bit of a business book. It's got the design a bit of a coffee table book. It's got the spirit of sort of a, a rock and roll story. It's a lot of really short stories and pull quotes and big images. And to be honest with you, Exponential doesn't break into new territory. It really just takes those key points and expands upon it in a much more traditional sense. So I follow my own personal journey through the world of research and then my experience in the world of advertising, working with what I think is the most incredible team of people I've ever been around over at Questus, working with some of the planet's most iconic brands, and really just trying to share that story and get to very specific, actionable advice. Very cool. And where, where can people find, purchase the book for Exponential? Yeah, it comes out January 18th. It's being published by McGraw-Hill and it's up on, it'll be up on Amazon. Amazingly, there's actually another book called Exponential that came out at right around now. So do a search for Exponential by Jeff Rosenblum. We're donating 100% of the author profits to charity. So we'd love your support and we'd love some positive reviews. I will put that on my to-dos and then we'll purchase that book when it comes out. Yeah, thank you. We appreciate that. And if people have more questions, they want to pick your brains on the whatever topics that we've talked about today and much more, because obviously you're a veteran, you, you know so much a lot about the marketing and advertising space. What's the best way to contact you? Well, you can learn more about us at our website, questus.com, Q-U-E-S-T-U-S.com. I'm up on Instagram at the Jeff Rosenblum, and I'm up on Twitter at J.R. Questus. And of course, you can find me on LinkedIn at Jeff Rosenblum. Well, Jeff, Although it's just a bit of a short time to have this conversation with you, but it's been really insightful for me. And I've had some really good ideas based on what we've talked about to apply in my own business as well. So thank you so much, Jeff, for coming out of the show and having this conversation with me. Thank you, man. I appreciate it very much. All right. You take care, Jeff. We'll talk soon. Have a great day. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thank you so much for tuning in to the show. We work really hard to produce this show to support you and your businesses. So we have a small favor to ask. We would love for you to go and review the show on Apple Podcasts because we really want to hear your feedback. You can let us know what you think of the show and what we should discuss in future episodes. We hope we've earned your five stars. And in any case, we just want to hear your opinions so we can get better at what we do. Now, How We Solve is more than just a show. We offer a full suite of services that can accelerate growth and maximize revenue for your business. So check us out on our website at howwesolve.com to learn more. Is your e-commerce growing so fast that you can't keep up with supporting your customers in real time? Serve them better in any time zone and language. They will thank you with higher conversion rates and repeat purchases. We build and manage your own dedicated customer experience team of live chat and support agents. Get started today. Visit ltvplus.com. That's ltvplus.com. Thanks for listening to the How We Solve podcast. Dominate your market and crush the competition with our step-by-step -step playbooks. Subscribe right now in your favorite podcast player or visit howwesolve.com.